coming here in just a second. Uh, some of you may or may not know, uh, but Perry, uh, that guy back there, Dave, and, uh, and Greg is another guy. Uh, we uh, are in a 50s, 60s, and 70s band. And we play around and have some fun doing things. Well, just about, I don't know, six months or, or better, this guy came along. And uh, he's, he's a fantastic friend. Uh, he and I met when he was the chaplain of hospice here for Guernsey County. Uh, we got to have lunch together then. Uh, I get to know him a little bit better now. I'm not going to give you all of his accomplishments because they're too much. And I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try to tell you what he does with the Wesleyan Church. But it's something good. I know it's starting churches. Um, so with that being said, please welcome a friend, uh, an awesome believer, a great man of God, uh, Dr. Chris Dyer. Come on, brother. Thank you, man. Love you too, man. Oh, well, here I am. Yeah. I got up this morning and I thought, what was Pastor Brent thinking when he asked me to come and speak today? Um, and I've heard, him, I've heard him speak. He's a great preacher. And so as I've told a few of you, I apologize in advance. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and if all else fails, right, we had some great worship in music today, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I love to hear these guys play, and, uh, and I love playing with them. I, um, I kind of dropped out of rock and roll many years ago, and uh, they said, oh, come on back in. And I said, all right, I guess I'll give it a try. And, and so I went in there, and they've been teaching me all kinds of things. So I've been learning. And honey, my wife's sitting in the back back here. She, she doesn't get too close because she gets in the spit zone. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was at a camp meeting once and one preacher, he was going strong, man. And he was going strong and his bottom, bottom teeth flew out of his mouth. You know? <laughs> flew right into somebody's lap. Yeah. <clears throat> I always tell people in my church, don't sit in the front rows. You'll get wet. It's like SeaWorld. <laughs> anyway, honey, I want you to note Pastor Brent's guitar up here. My birthday's coming up. Just <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Someday I'm going to preach, okay? Give me a little time to get warmed up. Um, somehow, and, and I say this is an act of God's grace, right? But somehow I spent 40 years in pastoral ministry. And I know that's impossible to believe just because I look so incredibly young. Um, <laughs> I'll repent later. But I did. I, I spent actually over 40 years in pastoral ministry. Uh, I do a little teaching as I preach. But I'm kind of old-fashioned in some ways, and no matter where I go to speak, my heart's desire is always for us to hear from God. Amen. Uh, and I, I want us to hear from God 
this morning in a very personal way. Uh, I'm just old-fashioned enough to believe that God was here before we ever got here. Amen? And, uh, and uh, he knew we were coming, and he has something to say to us. Now, that's, that's just that old-fashioned part of me, but I'll tell you once, I was strongly rebuked and reprimanded by a, mess- a messianic Jewish believer. Uh, he, he said to me, and I'll never forget this, it changed my life, it really did. And, it, and it's so silly that, that it took me so long to get a hold of this. But he said, Chris, he said, uh, he said, you know what? He said, you evangelical Protestant Christians, you just tear me up. And I'm like, okay, Why? And he said, you all get together in your services and then you beg and plead for God to be present in your services. And he said, have you not learned yet that God is omnipresent and that he is there all the time? And he said that he, this is what he told me. He said, the scripture tells us we are to enter into the presence of God, not that we're supposed to invite him into our presence. Wow. Slapped by the Jewish Christian, right? Woo. Man. All right. That was free. That wasn't even in my notes. Okay. So for this message this morning, I want to take you to a familiar story that I've grown to truly love. And it's found in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. You'll recognize it. You know it. Read it probably many times. And I read from the New Living Translation, um, so I hope that doesn't offend anyone. I'm a simple-minded person, and so I went with kind of a simple type of a text. Actually, I'll tell you, and I'm going to try not to uh, get off my notes too much, but he did ask me to preach, and it's his fault. Okay, (laughs) so... uh, so anyway, I, I started using the New Living Translation when I realized that many people who were coming to our church were not Christians and they were biblically illiterate. Yeah. Yep. And I wanted to read a version that they could understand. And so that's why I started reading it. John 2, verses 1 through 12. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. That's so, that's so important. Uh, that, yeah, keep that in perspective. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. I love this part. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. 
Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I always found that, that last sentence interesting. Yeah, he had chosen them to follow him, but it wasn't until this point that his disciples believed. I wonder how often we profess to be followers of Jesus, but we haven't come to that place of really believing, right? Yeah, it's pretty easy to be religious. It's pretty easy to profess. Okay, enough of that. So I, I love this story. Um, however, in the church in which I was raised, we didn't spend much time looking at it. I'm just going to share a little bit of my background with you this morning because it's important to the context of what I want to share with you today. But I was raised in one of these extremely conservative, somewhat legalistic churches. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever been there? Do you know what I'm, okay. Uh, it was a church that was full of great people. It was a good church. It really was. But in my church, you didn't wear jewelry or dance or play cards or go to the movie theater. Women didn't wear their pants or makeup or anything like that. I had long hair when I was a teenager, and that was certainly not acceptable. I got called out a few times on that. Um, even after I became a Christian, I wore a light blue suit to church one day, and I was called out by the pastor from the pulpit during the sermon. And after the service, now, now you're, going, you're going to get to know me a little bit now. Boy, this is dangerous territory. So after the service, I told him, there is nothing sinful about color. And then I told him that the men in his congregation all looked like a bunch of penguins. <clears throat> and of course, that was a sin too, right? So, so in my church, we always lived in this constant state of repentance because no one wanted to die and go to hell. You know, we, so we lived in this constant state of repentance. Oh, my. So even though this story in John 2 was referenced in church and in Sunday school, it was never really studied because no one wanted to talk about, you guessed it, wine. <laughs> nope, not going to talk about wine in church. And it, it always surprises me how Christians love to major on the minors and then they miss the details, right? And so early in my life, I, I simply recognized this as uh, Jesus' first miracle, and, uh, and I didn't really study the details. Uh, but a few years ago, several years ago, it's hard to keep track of time, uh, I spent some time studying this, past, pastor, uh, this passage and I, I just fell in love with it, head over heels in love with it. Um, I could go on for hours about this story, but don't worry, my wife is back there. She will give me the cutoff sign. And I've asked a couple of others, just, you know, when I get to go too, when I start to go too long, just go like this. Uh, and, uh, and besides that, at my age, I get kind of hangry around lunchtime. So I, I just, just let you know. It's important, I think, that we note um, that we really need to look at John chapter 1 to get the full impact of John chapter 2, okay? So in, in the first chapter of his gospel, 
John wrote these words that I, I love so much. And if I, if I get a little emotional, you just have to forgive me. But I love these words. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, the creator. Amen. I love it. And then you go down to verse 14 and it says, so the word became human, flesh. He made his home among us, which literally means he, he tabernacled among us. Or as one author put it, he, he put up his tent in the neighborhood. And I, I love that, that vision of that, that picture. And then after that, John said, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so in this first chapter, John writes about Jesus' deity. So anyone that ever, wanted to tell, ever, anyone that ever tells you that Jesus is not God, right, bring them back to these verses. And then after he writes about Jesus' deity, we read about Jesus' baptism, where he was introduced to the world as the long-awaited Messiah. And then following this, he chose his disciples. And then in chapter 2, we go to a wedding. But you never want to lose sight of what John wrote about Jesus' deity in chapter 1, because it's full of good stuff that sets us up for chapter 2. So what do we first see in Jesus' wedding miracle? Well, it's probably just because I'm an old hippie. But the first thing I see is that God loves a good party. <laughs> now, now, I would have been shown the door in my childhood church for saying something like that. Uh, so it took me a long time to, to kind of embrace that concept and to be able to share it with people on Sunday mornings. But, but I, I believe God loves a good party. We, we study in the scriptures and we see that God has always planned ways for his people to celebrate who he is and what he does. Historically, God strategically pulled his people together for significant times of worship and sacrifices and feast. He commemorated large events in the journeys of his people and the Jews always found ways to celebrate life's special moment with God at the center of their celebrations. Jesus didn't have to go to this wedding. He chose to go. Yeah, he joined the party. Something good was happening. Jesus said, come on, guys, we're going to go to the party, okay? And when we all get to heaven, God is going to throw a party to top all parties. There will be that celebration of the wedding supper of the Lamb where Jesus the groom will be his, with his bride, the church, forever and ever and ever. And there's another wedding party for you, right? So I'm firmly convinced today that heaven celebrates every time God's kingdom is glorified in this world. The angels celebrate every new believer, amen? 
God celebrates every time you pray because our prayers ascend to his throne like sweet-smelling incense. God rejoices every time you follow in the footsteps of Jesus because he loves your faithfulness, right? And I'm so convinced that as God's people, we are to be people who celebrate God, his church, his kingdom, not just on Sunday mornings, amen, but every day of the week. And church, I know we're at the latter part of January, but as we begin this new year, let's celebrate that Jesus Christ is alive and well and in the business of doing miracles and transforming lost and broken lives. Amen. Let's celebrate what God has done and trust in what he is doing and what he will do. Let's celebrate a God whose church is eternal and whose kingdom has no end. Let's celebrate God's faithfulness to keep his promises and to redeem lost, imperfect people like me. And let's celebrate our special place in God's glorious kingdom, amen. I think that God deserves a standing ovation today. How about you, amen? Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Yeah, we could do that all morning. <laughs> Amen. Never forget when Billy Graham, he, he was, somebody said to him, man, you know, people just don't say anymore, an, amen anymore. And he said, no, they, they clap. They applaud. And he said, I think that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So now also in this first miracle, now we're going to dig a little deeper. God takes the seemingly insignificant or unimportant and uses it for his glory. You see, in our culture, we're obsessed with the big, the better, and the best. But Cana, Cana was just a small, insignificant place. And the people there were not rich, or they would have had plenty of wine and money to buy more. Amen? I've been to the village of Cana, there's nothing there but a little chapel that marks the spot of this miracle. Wow. Isn't that cool? I mean, you know, it's kind of a dead city, but it's, it's, still, it's still cool that you can go there and there's this little chapel that marks the spot of this miracle. And in the Gospels, we often see Jesus in places with people that may seem insignificant and not valued by society. I've always said Jesus was a champion of women, right? And he was a champion of children. He ministered, he ministered to and he used the outcast, the least expected, the undesirables and the marginalized in his world. He took little and made it much. He flipped the values of culture, right? And those who were first became last and the last became first amen we should never underestimate what god can do in us and through us we should never underestimate what he will do as we are on mission with him in this world we should never lose faith 
in a God who created all things. Never lose faith in the God who gave his son for the world, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, and the God who created a world-changing church that started, that started with 120 unqualified, uneducated, undervalued people, amen, people who were called to rescue the sinful, the sick, the poor, and the marginalized, and bring them into the kingdom of heaven, amen. So next in this story, we see the very first time that Jesus involved people in his ministry. I never, I never contemplated that before. That was not something I ever thought of. But Jesus is about to do a miracle. And Mary, Mary, of course, <laughs> God love Mary, she told the servants to help him. Jesus said, eh, I'm not sure this is the right time. She said, yeah, you... Just do what mom says. (laughs) And then Jesus used their obedience. Now get this. Jesus used their obedience in their hands to turn water into wine. Do whatever he tells you were Mary's simple instructions. Do whatever he tells you. I love that. Yeah. We need to process that for a moment. I need to process that every day of my life, right? How special are we that the king of the ages, the God over all creation, ask us to help him do ministry in this world? Man, every time the devil says to me, you know, you're a nobody, you're a nothing, you're insignificant in this world, I can always come back and say, yeah, but the God who created all things asked me to help him do ministry in this world. Amen. So from this point on, Jesus made it clear that everyone who follows him will follow him into service. Amen. Say amen or ouch. Not too many ouches. I didn't hear too many. And that, by the way, must become the major component of a vibrant, spirit-filled, disciple-making church. We have been called to serve with Jesus, right? And then we see, I think this is special. God will always place key people or key servants in the storyline, right? Of course, the key person in the story is Mary, Jesus' mother. She was the person seeking Jesus' help. She was the one that saw a crisis and came to her son. She was the, the, the one who had faith in what he could do. I mean, she was his mother. We really don't know what she saw throughout life, but it would be amazing to know those things. Uh, But she was the one who had faith in what he could do. And she was the one encouraging people to listen to him and to serve him. Believer, church, God is calling you to be a key person in his story. Amen. You may not be a leader or a preacher like Pastor Brent. But God is calling you into kingdom life and missional service in this world. 
And he wants to use you to call others. He wants to use you to turn water into wine. I'm gonna come back to that in a little bit. You'll, you'll find that out. But finally in this miracle, we see Jesus' sovereign lordship over all creation. Oh boy, here we go, right? <sighs> this isn't the only time we see it, of course, in the gospels, but it's the first time. This is the first time we see it. And this is why it's important to remember John's claim of Jesus' deity in chapter one. In the gospels, Jesus calmed the water. He calmed the sea. He even condemned a fig tree to death, which still has me a little baffled. I'm still trying to figure that whole story out. But all we know is he did. But this is the first time we see his power over creation. And it's different than the others. It's different than the others. In this story, when the party ran out, Jesus looked around and he said, give me some water. Now we can only guess, you know, how people were kind of thinking at that point, because I'm sure that there were people who were saying, this dude thinks he's gonna replace wine with water? How's he gonna do, does he think everybody's so drunk that they won't know the difference? <laughs> you know, what, what is he trying to pull? And we know there wasn't anything like Kool-Aid or anything like that. So it's not like he could take out a package and dump it into the, you know. So yeah, I mean, we can only guess what everyone was thinking. Except Mary. Except Mary. She knew what Jesus could do. Amen? Think of it now. She knew what Jesus could do, and that's why you are a key player in God's story, because you know what Jesus can do. Amen? So Jesus took plain old water, good old H2O, and he transformed it into something else. I want to leave you with this thought. Well, I don't want to leave you with it. I still have a whole lot more to say. Not really. We're almost done. Without a word, without a word, God can take nothing and turn it into something. Or he can take something and transform it into something entirely different. Right? Yeah. So are you ready for what God is going to change in your life? or maybe in this church, or in this city, because of your faith and your obedience. Amen? Are you ready to join join Jesus as he wields his creative and transformative power? And are you ready to help Jesus turn water into wine in your life, in your community, in your home, in your church? I shared these two thoughts with you this morning for two reasons. First, I celebrate you. I celebrate you. Uh, You are significant to God and in his kingdom. Don't let the devil ever tell you any differently. You are significant to God and his kingdom. 
and he wants you to do special things in this world. Second, now I know Pastor Brent can teach on this a little bit more, but we all need to be open to whatever God wants to do in and through our lives. I'm thinking those servants filling those jugs with water, really? They didn't even know Jesus. How disobedient am I sometimes? <laughs> how do I, how, how often do I fall short? But listen, God loves you. God makes you significant in his kingdom. And whatever he tells you to do, it can be done. Amen? God does crazy things. I will be the first to admit it. I'm definitely an example of that. Um, To ever think that this rebel standing before you, and by the way, you could tell by some of the things I said earlier, I'm a little on the rebellious side. Uh, I've always told people, God did not remove my rebellious streak. He just saved it, right? (laughs) Yeah, he just saved it, that's all. So to think that this rebel standing before you would ever become a pastor, that was just, that's just crazy. That's just crazy. My dad, my dad was a key player in my story. He had come to Christ about a year before. And when I was still wild and lost, and on drugs, my dad somehow, I, he spoke a prophetic word over me, right? And one night, totally out of the blue, dad put his hand on my shoulder and he said, son, one day you will be a pastor. Now, I remember what I said to him. I said, Dad, please. That's never going to happen. I said, I'm not even sure I believe in God. He assured me it was going to happen. So almost 50 years later, as I said, when I first got up here, here I am. Right? Almost 50 years later, here I am, still trying to preach. And when I began my pastoral journey, I never dreamed that I would become a church planter. Pastor Brent mentioned a little bit about starting new churches, and that's kind of what I do. I, I help people start new churches all across the country, and it's, it's one of the most exciting things. I love every, I love every minute of it. I, I just get pumped up about it. Um, but I, I, I never... Never dreamed I would become a church planter, uh, but God took me where I never dreamed. And then after I became a church planter, I never dreamed I would go back to an established church. I desperately wanted to plant another church, but God sent me to a church in Newark, Ohio. By the way, I questioned him almost every day about that, you know, why he would send me to a church there. Uh, not because it's Newark, but because it was an established church and I have this apostolic spirit inside of me. And 
I remember walking through the lobby. It was a large facility. We had about 500 seats. The lobby, the lobby there, we could sit 100 people around tables in the lobby. So it was a large facility. I remember walking out in the lobby one day and looking up and saying, God, this was just a cruel joke. I have to deal with all of this history and tradition that, that's been left in this church for the last 100 years. All I want to do is go out on mission and bring rebels to Jesus, you know? And, uh, and I remember so clearly that day, God said, Chris, still haven't figured this out, have you? Nope. <laughs> please, en- please enlighten me, God. And, uh, and God said, you're here to take the bullets for the next guy. Don't you get that? I'm like, what kind of a journey is that? You know, what, and it, but, it, but it became reality for me. I realized that I was there to help that church transform into something different. Guess what? I was there to help Jesus turn water into wine, right? Yeah. And, and so whatever, I, I got to that point, I said, whatever, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. I may not be happy about it every day, but I'm going to do it. And so, went to the church in in Newark, Ohio, and out of that church, after a few years of being there and towards the end of my tenure in that church, we ultimately planted two new churches, and over those years, we had given thousands of dollars to other church plants in Ohio and across the country. And so, I was still a church planter. (laughs) Just Just didn't know. I just didn't know how it was gonna happen. Throughout my life, Jesus has consistently turned water into wine. So what does he want to do in your life? What does he want to do in your life? What have you been saying to God as God has been speaking to you? As God's been giving you some guidance and direction as God wants to use you in his kingdom, as God wants him, wants to use you to be on mission with him in a lost and dying world, as God wants to use you to reach out to people who are insignificant and undervalued and, and, and people who are marginalized and, and people who feel like they have no hope in this world. What has God been speaking to you? How does God want to use you? How will God transform your life? And as Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Now, I want to say, make sure it's from God. Don't, it, you don't want to do whatever the pizza you had before, you know, the night before. Be careful. Make sure you're hearing from God. Amen? Come on. Make sure you're hearing from God. But whatever God tells you, are you willing to do it? even if it seems crazy. I love the way that God helps us do crazy things. Just shows his power, shows the deity of the Christ that we serve. Amen. Can I pray with everyone? Okay. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity of just being together in this place today. Thank you for your word. Oh, Lord, love your word. I love all the lessons that we can learn. The things that as we dissect passages and we see what 
you have done and we realize what you're able to do and we make that application to our lives as you want to send us out, as you want to use us, as, as we know, Lord, that we are significant in your kingdom. There are people here today who need to take a step of faith and go to the next level. I don't know what that next level looks like. All I know is that, that Lord, you're calling people to take a step of faith and you're calling them to go to the next level in their journey with you, in their, in their walk with you. And this morning, they're hearing your voice and the words of Mary echoes in our minds, do whatever he tells you. And so, Father, as we leave this place, help us to be loving, obedient servants, and then we will find what you have for us in life. We, so many of us are missing the fulfillment of life because we have not taken that next step. Take us along, Father. Help us to say yes. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, God, creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was alive and then he died and he lives forevermore. We pray it in his name, amen.